This is a Spade, Spoon, Soul, a podcast about all the ways food intersects with our faith, from seed to spade to spoon. I am Brian Sellers-Peterson, and I am coming to you from SeaTac Airport because I'm on my way um, to South Bend, Indiana for the Province 5 gathering. They call it the Big Provincial Gathering. So uh, looking forward to traveling, but uh, I'm... I'm uh, so you might get a little ambient noise out of out of me today. Well, it's good to be on this podcast with you, Brian. This is Bishop Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs, the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Indianapolis. And I am not in an airport coming to you from the Midwest where we are looking forward to that big provincial gathering. And we're delighted to have as our guests folks who are planted in New England and can't wait to hear more about that as we welcome Bishop Ian Douglas, the Bishop of the Episcopal Church in Connecticut and Joe Douglas, who is going to talk to us about, I hope, all kinds of things, pork, perhaps CrossFit, <laughs> and the intersection of those things. And hey, so, yeah, don't, the, for, don't, for, don't forget lacrosse, okay? Ah, yes. Well, I think we'll get into all of it, but we're delighted that the two of you are here on the Spade Spoon Soul podcast. Thank you for having us. It's yeah. great to be with you, close friends and with Joe, so... I was just going to note that you do share a last name because you are related. We can put that up <laughs> up front in the podcast. So folks are wondering. And you yes. guys can kind of tell us a little bit about that as we get into things. But uh, um, we ask a, a, a standard question. Um, everyone has to answer this. But we want to know where you are rooted. Place, community. Maybe you want to say where you're spiritually rooted. but. Uh, I'm flipping a coin. Uh, Joe goes first. Okay, great. Um, I'm rooted on the island of Martha's Vineyard off the coast of Massachusetts. Um, in the winter, we are a small community of six towns with about 20,000 people. And then in the summer, we saw like eight or tenfold up to like 180 or even 200,000 people that come here to vacation. Um, in the winter, there are because you know everyone, you always, when you're driving down the road, you want to look at the people that are driving um, past you because you always want to wave if you know them. Um, and so it's a small community of the six towns. But then in the summer, it's great to have this influx of people and that bring positive energy and excitement. Um, and so there's a rhythm that kind of follows the seasons. Um, and my work also follows the seasons as well. And um, so I'm rooted in the natural rhythm of this island um, in New England and as it changes seasonally um, with both the weather and then also the seasonal changes of people that come in and out throughout the year. I'm rooted first and foremost in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the invitation to participate in God's mission. So I'm kind of theologically and missiologically grounded in the mission of God motivates my work and a lot of my orientation in the world and in my life. I, as far as physical location and place, I am the 15th Bishop Diocesan of the Episcopal Church in Connecticut, and I've been honored and blessed to be the bishop here for the last 12 years. And so as some speak of Episcopal patches, my patch is Connecticut, and it's been such a great and wonderful 
sojourn here in Connecticut, the people in the place of um, the in the nutmeg state. And there's a story behind that too. So I'm very much a nutmegger right now and committed to the people in particular of the Episcopal Church in Connecticut and rooted in their lives as their bishop diocesan. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention a third kind of rooting. I've been blessed in my life with my family, particularly through my spouse and her family, to be rooted in also at Martha's Vineyard for over 40 years, where there's been a family home. And anticipating my upcoming retirement, officially known as resignation as Bishop Diocesan, my spouse and I will be moving to Martha's Vineyard. So we're... I have a foot in Martha's Vineyard right now and a foot in Connecticut and fully grounded in the gospel of Jesus. Hey, Ian, I need to know, uh, do you have tall rubber boots and overalls? Because you may need to slop the hogs, buddy. Been there, done that, looking forward to it. You bought a new Carhartt jacket, so you're good. Christmas present, my new Carhartt jacket. So, um, you know, I didn't know about your roots in in the vineyard there, but it makes sense having spent a lot of time in Cambridge, Mass. And so um, before becoming the Bishop of the Episcopal Church in Connecticut. And so I would love to hear more about it. I I have a confession that I hate to make publicly that I have never been to Martha's Vineyard. I feel like they can revoke my black card for it. And so I need to... (laughs) I need to figure that out. But when you think about your life there or uh, or in Connecticut, like tell us how creation nourishes your soul in those spaces. When I think of that, I I think of caring for God's creation. And the way that I see that is I put my energy in towards uh, having a sustainable farm. So when I think of sustainability, I think of the three pillars, environmental, economic, and social sustainability. So I run a farm um, where I raise 30 pigs entirely on food scraps that I collect from restaurants. So every day I drive my truck and I pick up um, around 300 gallons worth of food from about two dozen restaurants. And then I feed it to 30 pigs that are out on pasture and rooting through the woods. So rather than shipping in corn, grain, soy, hog feed, Um, which would then have to be put on a ferry and brought to the island and then fed to my pigs. Um, Instead, they're eating real, healthy, good food. Um, Their favorite foods are avocados, tomatoes, uh, beet greens, carrot tops, grapes, and scrambled eggs from the hospital here on the island. And so environmentally, I'm caring for the earth because I'm not producing pork that's... um, from animals that are fed hog feed, but instead they're eating real food. You are what you eat. And so they're eating good food and then they're producing good food for us. Economically, I was able to make money on a first year farm business, which is pretty rare for a first year business, let alone a farm. Um, But that's because the two biggest expenses are for a livestock farm are feed and labor. Labor is just me and then some volunteers they want, like my family, (laughs) when they come and visit. And then feed, I wouldn't be able to make it if I was buying in bags of grain, but I'm uh, just getting, collecting free food from restaurants. And then socially, in terms of sustainability, rather than just me um, out on the farm alone with my pigs, um, I'm interacting with uh, the employees, the workers 
at two dozen restaurants every day. And we built, we build a community where I rely on them for their food um, to feed my pigs. And they rely on me to come every day, seven days a week to pick up the food. And then we have this partnership where they end up buying the pork back or buying the pork from me. Um, so this, it's this full cycle where I collect their food, feed it to my pigs, create pork, and then they have a really high quality, delicious product that they can then um, butcher themselves and serve to their uh, patrons who come and visit. That just sounds so wonderful. And in every way, the sort of cycle of life and sort of regenerative agriculture model um, in that form. I just love it. But I can I just say, too, that when I hear you describe what the pigs like to eat, I was thinking, oh, pigs, they're just like us. <laughs> like Those are all of my favorite foods. Yeah. I mean, pigs have the same digestive system as humans, except they don't have a spleen. So that's why they can digest food that we don't otherwise need. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, when restaurants, like they can't really serve slightly brown lettuce, but like the pigs don't care. Whereas like in a home, you might serve that brown lettuce because you're just eating it yourself. But in a restaurant, people are going and buying it. So um, there's a lot of food waste, unfortunately. But here I am reclaiming it and then creating better product out of it. So taking a waste product and then generating something good. How about you, Ian? What, what, how does creation nourish your soul? This job that I have and that you have, Jennifer, is uh, nonstop, seven days a week, 24 hours a day to get perspective and be regenerated and made whole after being worn down or overly exhausted. The go-to place for me with my spouse is outdoors, on the water, kayaking, sailing, boating, swimming, hiking, skiing. Um, I'm not the person to go to the museum or the film, but being outdoors is completely regenerative for me, the goodness of God's incredible creation. And we live on the water in a beautiful part of southeastern Connecticut. And so access is, is um, very fortunate to have immediate access. I've always enjoyed and been blessed through my spouse's family to have really blessed to be part of a family that for over four decades have been going to Martha's Vineyard in a family home. And that's where our children were raised in many ways. I think it's it's where we all consider home. My spouse, Kristen, was a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa. And part of the tradition when you ask amongst Mandinkas with whom she lived is you don't ask where you were born, but you ask basically where was your placenta buried? So there's a tradition of burying one's afterbirth placenta as far as marking the the ground on which you live and move and have your being. And we were very intentional when our three children were born to take their placentas and bury them on the family land in Martha's Vineyard. So we are pretty grounded there. You're going to get the prize for the most unique answer to that question <laughs> that we've ever had in the history of this podcast. So there you go. <laughs> And it's oh nice that Joanne has returned. Yes. Well, I mean, again, there's the cycle, right? I, yeah. I kind of, I love that. I love and that. And I, I would add that 
my dad is a figurative shepherd and I am a literal shepherd. <laughs> um, <laughs> my job uh, when I have pigs is seven days a week and because they need to be cared for. Um, I need to collect all the food every day. Um, they need to be fed and yeah, cared for. And so I remember last summer I was exhausted and my dad so graciously um, so that he would do my pickup run, picking up all the food for me. And so that I could have one day off in my six months of working. And I was like, no, you don't have to do that. But he was like, no, I want to do that. And so he took my truck and took the 15 barrels on the back of my truck, 15, 20 gallon barrels on the back of my truck and drove to all 24 restaurants, um, went door to door, picking up my, the food and then he went and fed my pigs so that I could have a little respite in the busy season. And so I'm forever grateful that <laughs> he volunteered to do that. So he is becoming from a figurative shepherd to a literal shepherd. He, he has the muck boots, he has the work pants and he has the work coat. So any positive attitude that it takes and the, um, the strength it takes to carry all that food. <laughs> Good thing we all do CrossFit. Exactly. Also, you know, also, when you were busy working the Ag Fair, which was a big uh, part of your your annual commitment as far as food education, uh, not not that I was counting, but when you worked the Ag Fair all day, I also did pickups during the Ag Fair. Right. I forgot about that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So that's um, one of the many reasons I'm looking forward to my parents. Um, living here year round. Um, and they're excited to help me out. Um, you also pounded in posts, um, to build the fence at the beginning of the season. Um, so that was very helpful too. And I think you guys enjoy it. <laughs> at least you tell me. You I mean, enjoy it. And I also went off off Island with you when we delivered that <gasps> road to the processing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. You, um, you helped me load the pigs in the trailer and then we took the pigs off Island on the boat and brought them to the slaughterhouse. Um, so that was, yeah, another big help. Thank you. So, you know, I spent a good part of my growing up on farms that included dairy cattle and beef cattle and hogs and chickens, et cetera. And so my memories of Joe particular was staying with, uh, Ian and Kirsten in Essex and having cheese uh, because she was dairy farming at that time. And then I think the next time I got to see her, she was just starting out with the pigs um, in Connecticut. I think you were renting a farm at the time. And, and that's really where I woke up um, to the issue of food waste in terms of our environment. Um, you were the first person to tell me about the inverted pyramid that the USDA puts out you know and that you know we need to eat all of the food that um that's set before us well or we need to feed it to animals that can be nourished or we should compost it but very way on the bottom is landfill and that's where all the problems happen and so joe tell us a little bit about you know you did dairy production right at green mountain college is your your degree. So tell us about your trajectory from, from high school to college, to the dairy farm, to the pig farm. In eighth grade, I knew I wanted to be a farmer. <laughs> I'd gone to farm camp and I was like, this is it. I love to be outside. I love working hard. Um, I love animals and people need to eat. And so someone needs to produce that food. Um, and so in high school, 
I knew I wanted to be a farmer right out of high school, but my parents said, we sent you to prep school, you're going to college. And I said, okay, how about I go and major in agriculture in college? Um, and they said, great. Um, so I went to Green Mountain College and majored in sustainable agriculture and food production with a minor in animal studies. And then out of college, I worked on, I guess, over a dozen farms. Um, I was like a farm worker, farm apprentice, um, into a farm manager. And then kind of my next step was to start my own farm, have my own LLC, my own farm business, my own animals. And I'd always thought I would go into raw milk dairy farming, um, but... There's a big upfront cost. Um, you need a lot of land, buying all that stainless steel uh, piping for all the um, daring. And I thought, you know what? Um, and I thought like a lot of the um, cheese making industry is becoming pretty saturated. And so I knew I wanted to start my own farm where I could get my feet running, like have my own animals. And so I learned also about food waste um, and that over 40% of the food that's produced is just thrown away. And so um, I'd raised some pigs on various farms that I'd worked on. And um, what's great about pigs is they do really well on food, meaning that <laughs> they put on a pound a day. And so I had talked to a bunch of farmers. I said, what about raising pigs entirely in food scraps? And they were like, oh, it can't be done. And I'm like, well, I think it can be done. And so I, yeah, I rented a pig farm in Connecticut when I last saw you, Brian. And I raised 30 of my own pigs while taking care of the farm owner's 60 pigs. Um, so I was raising 90 pigs and they needed the farm back. Um, and so from there, that's when I moved to the vineyard, knowing that I wanted to continue with fork to pork um, and started, yeah, started fork to pork here and it's gone well. This is my fourth season coming up and yeah, raising about 30 pigs every year on entirely on food scraps. Um, and they do very well. They put on, again, they put on a pound a day. And what's great about pigs is you can get them in the spring and they're done by the fall. Um, so then I'm not carrying them through the winter. I mean, so that's a cycle. So how many um, cycles are you doing a year of like 30 pigs twice a year, or is it just annually? Yeah. So I raised 30 pigs from the spring into the early fall. I'm currently renting land from the land bank here on the island, Martha's Vineyard Land Bank Commission, and they charge only $10 per acre per year. So I have three acres for five years. I paid 150 bucks and because I'm working seven days a week, I don't want to do it 365 days a year. Uh, <laughs> so that's why I do it spring through fall. And in the winter, if I were to raise them, their food would freeze, their water would freeze, um, and they would have to eat more in order to maintain body warmth as opposed to just putting on weight. And in the winter here on the island, a lot of restaurants close. And so it, restaurants are pretty much open here on the island from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And so that's kind of my season because I'm picking up food scraps from the restaurants. And I don't want to have more permanent infrastructure. I like my system where they're out in the woods or they're grazing on the grass. And I just have this nice shelter for them. Um, and I have water and it doesn't freeze because it's in the summer. Um, and so, yeah, just one cycle of 30 pigs where I get them as feeder pigs. So they're weaned from their mothers and then I raise them till the fall and they're like 150 to 200 pounds, um, which is like a good size where they haven't put on too much fat, but they're, um, they put on substantial muscle, um, and then they're good sizes for restaurants to receive them. Except in the, in the first year, Joanna, when some of your pigs came, 
were purchased and they were already pregnant and then we were we were birthing through the first year so <laughs> steep learning curves first right. year um, uh yeah i got 30 pigs again that first year um but then i didn't realize that pigs could get pregnant at four months old and so i basically doubled my number of pigs i had 55 by the end of the year because <laughs> seven gave birth yeah, steep learning curves on the first year, um, but now I know. So I castrate the pigs, um, and then I yeah I don't breed anymore. So I just buy and feed our pigs, and then raise them till they reach maturity, and then they go off. And of course, the 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 sow was farrowing right during ag fair, so you were working all day and then all night just attending the birth. So. And I was picking up from 50 restaurants. So I was working like 12 to 16 hour days. It was a long, long season, but you learn a lot. Um, and I could have only achieved that having my own farm, having my own animals, having my own business, trying to figure it out. Um, but now I've kind of scaled it in a way where it's sustainable for me and working fewer hours, obviously seven days a week, but having it be more sustainable. Then you should, you should talk about your off farm income though. <laughs> yes. Um, so in, yeah, that's my summer job. Um, and then it, I needed a winter seasonal job here on the Island. And there's a lot of summer seasonal jobs because of the influx of people, but very few winter seasonal jobs. So I actually got a job at the ice rink, the ice arena here on the Island. And I am the first female Zamboni driver that they've ever had. Um, and so I drive the Zamboni in between either youth hockey practices or games or adult hockey practices or figure skating. Um, and it's a fun community gathering spot here on the Island. You are, you, you are totally living my dream. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people, uh, have always wanted to drive a Zamboni. Um, and it's fun. I get paid for it. <laughs> and then I also, um, I'm a coach, so I coach youth ice hockey and, um, I'm the head coach of girls varsity lacrosse at the regional high school here. And then throughout the year I coach CrossFit. Um, so five days a week I'm coaching adults. A lot of physical endurance needed for all of that. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I like it one time when, when Joanna was saying her whole life is spent on stall mats. Um, because <laughs> at the ice arena, so that your blades don't cut, get cut on the cement, there's stall mats. And then in the barn or in at a farm, there's stall mats. Um, cause that's when you have at a farm. And then at CrossFit where we work out, there are stall mats so that when we drop the weights, they're not going right on the cement. So yeah. All right, of course. Oh, I love that. We do not have enough time to get into the thousands of questions I have now developed since we started this conversation. But if we could go back to the pigs, I want to talk about the taste of them. I remember when, um, quote unquote, heritage pork became more popular in the early aughts and folks began to figure out how to source heritage breeds, do hogs, Berkshires and things like that. And so when you think about the kind of pork you're providing for, to these restaurants, are there differences that people can taste in their dining experience? And can you talk a little bit about what it tastes like? I'm ready to come over there to go to the restaurant you tell me to go to where I can get served this pork because I do eat meat, but I'm really particular about it. It's got to be done in a sustainable 
compassionate carnivore kind of way. And, and I know it tastes different off the bat, but this is another level of, of just care of the animal as it goes through its life. And that's got to result in a difference in the taste of it. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. My pigs live wonderful lives um, where they're out just hanging out (laughs) in the woods or on the pasture. And they only have one bad day, which is their last day, but they live wonderful lives. And every day I come driving my truck to the farm and they all come running out and they're like oinking and they're like so excited because they know that I'm bringing delicious food for them. And pigs are smarter than dogs. They need to be entertained. And so they get excited when I come because they're like, oh yeah, new food. And their natural behavior is to root through, um, like root on the ground. So take their nose and dig through. And so when pigs are like 95% of the pigs in the United States are raised on factory farms where they're on cement and and they can't practice their natural behavior, which is taking their nose and rooting through. And so my pigs are out in the woods and they're rooting through. And then every day I dump 300 gallons of food. And so then they're using, again, their natural behavior of rooting through and eating delicious real food. And as I said before, you are what you eat. And so if you're eating pork from factory farms that are fed corn grain, soy hog feed, basically the pork that you're eating is just corn grain, soy hog or corn grain, corn grain soy in a kind of different, (laughs) different mixture. Um, whereas my pigs are eating real food and people can really taste the difference. For example, uh, last weekend was Easter and, um, my dad, uh, which was so fun. He got to baptize his two grandchildren, my brother's, uh, two children. And after we had the traditional Easter ham or we had ham, uh, leg steaks for my pigs and my sister-in-law and her mother are not big pork eaters. Um, but they had seconds. And then <laughs> that night they had even more. And to my brother was like, that's the biggest form of praise because you have people, two people who don't eat pork and here they are eating (laughs) two handfuls of it. So, um, that was great to hear, but yeah, people taste my pork and they're like, wow, I've never tasted anything like this. And that's because they're eating a a variety, a diversity of really good, high quality, real food. And then that's again, creating a high quality, real delicious pork product as a result. I just had her bacon for lunch. So I can attest to this. And honestly, the pork doesn't taste like any other pork you've had. I mean, it is so great. And the restaurant and chefs on the vineyard and a lot of the high end restaurants, they go crazy over Joe's product. I mean, they they text, they social media, you know, we're serving fork to pork and people come running. And actually this is a plug because Joanna probably won't do it. She's Joanna is incredibly gifted in as a photographer and her social media feed fork to pork, particularly her Instagram fork to pork F O R K T O P O R K shows uh, both the way she cares for the pigs, but also the restaurants and how they they love the product. So it's it's out of this world. And Jennifer and Brian, when you come to the vineyard, and you will come, the house that we've been blessed to build, we have a, uh, uh, this is separate from our family house. This is Kristen's and my retirement home. Um, we have a full suite downstairs. So you can come, you have a place to stay, and we will, we will feed you Joanna's pork. 
<laughs> oh, appreciate that invitation. I'm, I'm actually thinking if I can come and be your intern, I'm trying to put together my sabbatical plans for next year. And I would seriously come and spend a week out there yeah. because it's the summer sabbatical time, you know, getting in the muck. It's for real, for real. So if you're open to that, we can talk about it. Seriously, Jennifer, you can stay with us. All right, let's let's uh, and you take can, that and you can ride in, in Joe's truck right out in front of the house. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I can do sabbatical anytime I feel like it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Any other kind of words about, especially Ian? You know, some of your thoughts about you know this PK who's become a PF and. Uh, a BK, a B, actually. A, B, a BK to a PF. A PK to a BK. <laughs> okay, into a pig farmer. I think what I'd say is, Kristen and I, my spouse, you know, we're bl- blessed with these three incredible now adults who are our children and our wonderful daughter-in-law and now grandkids. And I think I often say that the one issue we probably gave our kids that if and when they work with their therapists on is that we said, it doesn't matter what you do in life as long as you're passionate about it. And they've all done three very different vocations. And Joanna has always been passionate about farming since um, since she went to the farm school as a, a summer camp as a child. And we're just so proud of the way that she's been able to not only pursue her life's dream and and her um, passion for farming. But the way, it's not only the production of the food, but it's educating Americans about where our food comes from and how to live sustainably on the earth. So it's, it's Joe's passion for st- sustainability, good food in the local food movement and farming. And I have to say, Kristen and I have learned so much from Joanna. We are huge foodies now because of Joanna. Um, we have a great barter economy that we work with Joanna because she's she's very connected to the, the farming community in Martha's Vineyard and when she was in Connecticut. And so we've eaten much better and more flavorful food and more sustainable food since Joanna's been an adult in her farming life. So it's a huge, huge gift to us. And frankly, farming and um, food production is is a is something that I'm very much looking forward to in the in my next vocation. I don't know what it is about bishops and retiring to do farming, but that is a theme. I mean, I I came into sustainable agriculture as a priest and continue to seek ways to live into it. But retiring and and really digging deep, so to speak, into that seems to be a thing that Episcopal bishops have in common more and more these days. I find that fascinating. Well, I'm only the hired help. So Joanna is the farmer. I just do what I'm told. (laughs) You do it very well. (laughs) I'm not as good as the pigs. Sometimes there's a a famous bakery called Backdoor Donuts on Martha's Vineyard. Oh, man. Where they originally serve and sell donuts out the back door in the night. So people who have munchies and are at the 
out clubbing. They can go by and get the donuts. So backdoor donuts. Joanna does pay me with backdoor donuts. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, but right okay. before they're about to toss it in my bucket, I'm like, can you save one for us? <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Donuts going into a but donuts not selling out? How is that possible? <laughs> It goes back where people have to have like full cases of donuts because you don't want to walk into a bakery and then only see like three donuts. So it's about overproduction of food, Um, not just donuts, but in anything Um, like the scrambled eggs at the hospital. They don't know how much people are going to want to eat. And so they produce a lot, but obviously you can't reheat scrambled eggs or oatmeal. And so that all gets dumped every day. Um, So then I just pick it up and then my pigs get a delicious buffet of food. And the ones from the from the hospital that's the heaviest bucket (laughs) yeah (laughs) well that's our favorite i think yeah (laughs) well i do hope that you're starting a movement with this um it just sounds like a unique and important and and scale you know you're doing it in a way that's sustainable for you but i i love the idea of it and hope it catches on and what we'll do as we um post this podcast is to make sure that we post a link to fork to pork and put a, a tag on your instagram feed so people can follow you and keep track of the good work you're doing out there in Martha's Vineyard. And if you have other uh, links for us to share, please let us know and we'll make sure we post them in the show notes. Yeah, well, that's that's a wrap for today's Spade Spoon Soul, also known as Triple S. If you want to know more, you can find us on the Spade Spoon Soul Facebook page or email us at spadespoonsoulpodcast at gmail.com. Before we go, I want to thank our producer, Derek Weston, who is the man who does all the things, including being a Presbyterian pastor, community organizer, urban farmer, filmmaker, and um, makes our podcast sound as good as it does. And we want to thank Jay Sidebotham for the artwork and Ryan Lee for the music. So until next time, we hope that you find ways to connect your soul to your spade or spoon or both. Take care, everybody. Bye.